Hello, I am Mark Tucker. And I am Alan Furstenberg, and we are Two Voice Devs. Two Voice Devs. Welcome, Alan. Good to see you as always, Mark. How, is, uh, how are things going with you? <laughs> things are go going well. I, I did catch the uh, Voice Lunch Devs today where you presented some stuff on Interactive Canvas. Good job. Thank you. No, that was that was a very fun event. And that was so this will be airing something like two or three weeks after that event, which is, <laughs> is kind of amusing itself. Um, no, it was a good event. And one of the things I really liked about it is that we had at least uh, two or three people who were there for the first time. And yeah. that's one of the things I love about Voice Lunch is that we are bringing uh, new people on board. New people are discovering voice technology. And they're coming to Voice Lunch and, and asking, in some cases, really, really good questions. Yeah, no, they have been. Um, and you know, I, I'm, I'm not always able to catch it. One of, the, one of the things that came up a couple of times was you know, something along the lines of, well, what exactly does that mean? And I think in, when you and I were discussing what to do for the episode, I think both of us realized, you know, we, we really need to go back and kind of touch base. Let's, let's get a nice foundation groundwork for some of our terminology, because I think, I think most of us know some of this terminology, but some of them are a bit obscure. Yep. Um, some of them people may not be familiar with or may have kind of an intuitive understanding of. You and I may just have an intuitive understanding of, of what it is based on working with them for so long, but not a formal definition. Yeah. So, so um, I, no, I because like, for example, I started doing voice uh, development stuff um, like in 2016. And at that time, I, I was focusing on you know, Alexa development. And, uh, so, you know, since then, I've, I've done some stuff with uh, Google Assistant and with, uh, with Bixby. Uh, and even platforms that aren't those three major ones, you know, figuring out how to add voice to mobile apps and, and things like that. So there are things that we've just kind of learned or picked up or like figured out this is the history of things over time because things have changed even mm -hmm. in you know, like the last five or seven years, right? So it's, it's good to understand the, you know, just kind of what the, tech, the terminology or even like these things go together. And these things are, this is kind of a history and, you know, this is version one and that evolved into this, evolved into this. And this is kind of really where you need to focus. Those right. other things are old, te older technologies that you, you know, you might still find documentation. Right. You'll still find on. documentation that talks about them or, you know, in conversations, people will reference them, but here's where you need to be thinking instead. Yeah. Um, and I think also it's important to note, you know, right up front, this list that we've come up with, and we came up with a list. Trying yeah. you know, so, so hopefully that we didn't forget too much um, is really kind of from our perspective and our perspective are as primarily as Alexa and Google Assistant developers, but there's a whole world of voice development that's going on out there outside of, of what we narrowly focus on. Yep. And, you know, sometimes we have episodes that talk about that, but, uh, you know, our terminology tends to tends to focus around that as well. So if there are terms that you, you know, that, that people have heard that seem like they're in voice and we didn't talk about it, it's not because we were trying to omit it. It's just, it's, there's so much, the field is growing so fast. It's sometimes hard to keep up with. Yeah. So, you know, we've come up with basically a glossary of terms and, you know, and topics and we'll brush through them pretty fast today. Um, just kind of trying to give a, a, a flavor of each of those. Um, each of them could be talked about for, you know, in depth 
for a whole episode, I'm sure, some of them. Some of them more than one. Yeah. Uh, no, and we will. But yeah, let's let's kind of let's start going through it. So okay. you know, I think the first thing to think about is, you know, the the foundation stuff. What are we what are we working with? You know, we're working with things like smart speakers and smart displays. What does that mean? You know, what are what are we talking about when we talk about those things? And I think there were we kind of have an intuitive understanding of them, but not always. So, you know, we're now thinking of things like what uh, what would be called the Amazon Echo originally, or the originally called the Google Home, and now has so many different names, it's hard to keep track of them, <laughs> you know, including the Nest and the, you know. Um, but I think what we're, we're kind of just referencing here are home appliances. And, and I think we do think of them mostly as home appliances still that are dedicated to having a smart assistant in them or as, as part of them. Right. And they're, they're meant to be what I like to think of as ambient. And there's another term that wasn't on our list already. (laughs) Yeah. Or ubiquitous. They're just kind of there. They're sitting in our home and they're ready to be used whenever we want. So they're kind of there waiting for us. Right. And if, you know, and a lot of these things could be done in like a mobile app or or website, but some of the advantages that, by the time that you find your phone, unlock it, find the app, tap on it, get to the thing to get the information, you could be just talking to this device. You know, let's say that you're making something in the kitchen and you've got your hands full. Um, it's one of those things that you think about it, you can say it and you can get the answer or invoke the thing. Um, and that's what, you know, part of the ambient and, and the fact that, you know, you have these all over your house or in your car or, you know, that work or different things like that. Go ahead. And and I think that kind of leads into one of the other terms that we use a lot and that's voice first. So it's that these devices are meant to be driven by us saying something to them or hearing something from them, you know, and that's different than what we've done in the past with mobile devices, which are mostly touch first or uh, browsers, which are, you know, originated with mouse and keyboard. So this is introducing again, and I'm bringing up yet another term. Um, this is introducing what we think of as a new modality. So that right. that audio modality is something that's new and is a little bit different about what we're trying to accomplish. Right, and and so the devices that came out were you know standalone devices that had a microphone and a speaker, some sort of a visual indicator that the microphone was listening. Um, yeah typically invoked by a wake word that would then, you know, listen for a question or a command and, and do something. And, uh, you know, something that's self-contained, there are some things that are, you know, tap to touch. Um, And you'll see this, you know, not only in the, the, the main providers of devices, but you, you you know, more and more you're seeing things that, um, that would fit into the smart speaker category that, uh, that have some sort of an assistant in it. Right. So, you know, we're seeing things like uh, coming from Sonos, for example, yeah, or Bose or other speaker manufacturers that are out there creating speakers and they're putting assistants in them. And increasingly we're seeing things like TVs that are putting assistants in them. And I we use assistants in this case in a, in a generic term. Right. So these are, and I think, well, how would you define an assistant? Uh, a smart assistant. Oh, well, the idea is that it's something, you know, some companion there that's help, that's there 
to help you answer questions or do things. Uh, and you're able to, you know, give them access to information that would make them do it, you know, quickly yeah. or efficiently. Um, one of the, the definitions I like from that, that Google tends to use about their assistant specifically, it's uh, kind of, it's an, it's an agent that tries to help you get things done in your world. And I, I like yeah. that definition, partly because it, it kind of emphasizes the fact that this isn't taking place in some abstract place. It's not an abstract file. It's not data that's stored somewhere. It's you. It's what you're doing in your life. And here is technology that is trying to help you do that better. Right. And so we're not I, talking I like metaverse actually. stuff. We're talking real world stuff right, right We're now, talking real least. world. Yeah. So as part of that, again, we introduced a whole bunch of new terms here. Um, <laughs> the, the, the one that launched on the market seven years ago now, yep. um, that, that kind of started things off. And it's not that there weren't assistants before then. And it wasn't, you know, we had, we had Siri, for example, on Apple phones, but putting one in a smart speaker itself was what Amazon did with their first Amazon Echo. Yep. Tall can looked like a big black Pringles can, and it had a you know multi microphone array, um, able to to do directional um, zooming in on your voice, you know, lots of different things. The ability to put it in a room, be you know partway across the room or farther, and be able to talk to this device and have it uh, respond. Yep, and and that was radical. And some of the technology that yeah. it was using for that at the time, we'll we'll talk about a bunch of the terms later. But one of the big ones was what they refer, what we refer to as far field microphone technology. Yep. So that's that array of, of multiple microphones that could pick up a bunch of sounds in the distance and yet be able to say, okay, this is the one that we should be focusing on. This is what we need to, to listen more carefully to. And that just said a wake word. And now we need to, to do more. And, and even the term wake word. Yep. You know, again, it's it's a particular combination of words that has a lot of characteristics. You know, technically there are some things that make better wake words than others, but the goal of them is to basically make sure that it's not recording every single thing you say and sending it to a cloud somewhere. Yeah, and you'll and you'll see. You know, typically there's um, at least three syllables to the word or phrase that you're going to use to wake it up. Um, you don't want there to this to be something that's commonly said or can be confused with things that are commonly said. So there's, there's a little bit of an art that goes into picking a good wake word. Right. And this is why some people always like to talk about, well, wouldn't it be great if we had custom wake words and we had, you know, and yeah, these are, are great, but the technology behind a good wake word is still pretty rough. Well, yeah. And even to, you know, the, the, the technology to, to, um, I guess create, wake words off of audio samples and get a good one still is like a multi-week process just to, you know, do the, the, the churning and the computing to, to make a good wake word or make a wake word that you can plug into your system. So that was about seven years ago when, when Amazon launched this and about five years ago, a little over five years ago, Google said, yeah, Amazon beat us to the punch, but we're going to join the party. And they launched uh, two things at the time, and they launched them as, as kind of separate concepts. One was hardware that they called a Google Home. And if if uh, the Amazon Echo looked like a black Pringles can, the original Google Home 
looked like an Airwick air freshener. <laughs> um, so it, it had a, a funky looking design, but uh, not always well received. Um, and with it, they launched what they called the Google Assistant. And the Google Assistant lived on both the Google Home device and it was launched on the phone at the same time. Right. So it had a, a nice generic name, the Google Assistant. Assistant. <laughs> you know, compared to what Amazon did when they launched the Echo, which was? Give it a, 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 you know, a persona and a name, um, Alexa, and and uh, a lot of times attributing, um, you know, pronouns, you know, she, her, um, to it. So there are lots of controversies to that. That's the, that's, you know, that's a discussion for another day, but, uh, um, but that's, that's kind of how it all started. And, and, and so you'll still hear, um, you know, Alexa and uh, Google assistant and, and Samsung came out with their own device um, as, as well while on their phone and then uh, working on devices. And uh, that's Bixby. One of the things though, that's interesting is there's this no, this tendency to kind of start blurring the lines between the assistant and the hardware for the assistant. So a yeah. lot of times people will refer to Alexa uh, when they really mean the Amazon Echo. Yeah, the Echo device. And so so you, you would hear things, you know, people calling the device uh, an Echo or other people saying an Alexa device or just calling it an, their Alexa. And Alexa is the, you know, technically is the assistant um, persona. Um, so that's the, the the voice, the kind of the personality, the way that things are phrased when you're asking a question and answer, um, you know, knowledgeable, maybe a little bit, uh, you know, uh, sassy or I don't know what's the, the right <laughs> word, but kind of kind of um, fun. Like you can ask what's what's a joke um, and you'll get you know answers back. Um, so there's there's different, you know, there's kind of a whole persona that goes along with these assistants. And, you know, in a lot of ways, I like what uh, Google Assistant did in that it's not really so much of a, I guess, in your face persona as opposed to, um, you know, kind of, um, you know, unnamed. Um, it, and yeah, so it's interesting. I mean, it's Google certainly does have a persona attached to it. In fact, you know, there, there are a lot of designers yeah. that are out there trying to make sure that Google's persona is correctly reflected, but it's, it's a tough balancing act. I think, yeah. I think they, they deliberately didn't want to tie, you know, they put their name on it. You know, they, it's the Google assistant. So they didn't want to tie, you know, that, that's kind of risky tying your name to something that has a personality. Yeah, that is. Um, but, but that also brings up, sort of what 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 we do with these devices so you know you mentioned telling jokes you know we know that it can give you weather it can play music and a lot of times we'll refer to these sorts of things that are just kind of built in or baked in or that we think of as part of the assistant or the device itself as first party skills or actions so these are things that or, or sometimes we just refer to it as 1p yeah referring to things that came with it, you know, that you don't need to do anything special to turn on or invoke. You just ask the question or say the thing and Alexa or Google will respond with it. Right. Now compared with that, we have 3P. So I'm not sure exactly why we skipped 2P, but 3P is third party. And that would be, um, 
I guess the the analogy that's typically used is when you have a mobile phone, you can download an app. And so you can have an app that's a game and you have an app that's a different game or an app that's a calculator or a stopwatch or a weather app. Or So the idea is in some ways similar. So, um, you know, Alexa calls them skills. Uh, Bixby calls them capsules. Google, Google Assistant call, calls them... Calls them actions. Actions. So if you want to, you know, you might hear them called like voice apps and that's kind of a generic way of, 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 you know, not getting into the nitty gritty or like if you're wanting to talk about something that's general to voice assistance and you want to talk about like voice apps. Um, but that's a little bit of a misnomer. Um, I guess in some ways it's the same, like there is a skill store or an action store, or there's a marketplace for, um, for Bixby capsules where you can, you can find them and, um, and enable them. And in some cases you enable them in the case of Google, you just, you can just say, and they're always kind of the whole store is available at any time. You just have to say it um, on Alexa, at least uh, initially you would need to uh, enable the skill before you could use it. But these things don't actually get downloaded onto the, the device that's in your home. So whether it be the smart speaker or the smart display that you've got, um, they're not downloaded there. They're actually code that's running in the cloud. It, you're just invoking um, it by name, um, usually. Um, and then, then it starts off and, and then you can program as a developer what that voice experience is going to be like. Uh, you can say open you know, some like weather app of some name and then you can ask it questions like what's the weather or, and it could be more detailed or you know, locale specific or some reason why you might want to use the 3P weather app as opposed to the 1P built-in weather features or, or whatnot. And this is one of the, the, you know, when we start looking at the differences between what is a skill and an action and a capsule, on the surface, they seem like they're the same. But there's kind of interesting differences in the philosophy behind each. So, you know, without getting into too much details, because there's way too much details. Um, you know, I, I like to think of kind of a, a skill as, as something closer to what we would think of as a mobile app in mm -hmm. the sense that you need to specifically activate it in some way for, before your first use. Whereas an action is kind of more like a web page. It's more like a a web app sitting out there on the web somewhere, you just need to know the right combination of things to say to get to it. And a capsule, one of the neat things about capsules is that there's very little distinction between a first party capsule and a third party capsule. Yeah, Samsung has made a bunch, but you can replace theirs with somebody else's at any time. And that's harder to do with, with uh, what, Amazon and Google have done. Yeah, they've, they've definitely carved out 1P versus 3P um, a lot more distinctly. Yeah, so there are, there are differences, um, but superficially, yeah, we, we think of them as voice apps in general. Yeah, and it's, it's a little bit challenging because a lot of people will use their assistant and, and ask different questions or you know, play games and they won't even realize that there is this concept of um, 1P, 3P, or that they're, they're actually invoking a game that was written by somebody else that's not, you know, Amazon, or sometimes you'll get comments inside of the, the skill that you create, for example, complaining about something that happened on the device. And, and 
you know, so it's not always, even though we're very familiar with mobile and apps, I, I don't know that it's always been clear that distinction or even advertised that distinction well, I'll, um, I'll be very honest. much. But to be honest, I don't think that even on mobile devices, people always have a clear understanding of, oh, this, you know, came with the device versus this is, is not related to device, you know, is, is Facebook a, you know, what is that? You know, yeah. is it built into my phone? Did I install it separately? Some people don't know. Some people don't care. Um, and that's true. You know, for the most part, people don't really care. And as developers, it's kind of hard for us to remember that sometimes. Yeah, I think that's true. Yeah. Um, but, you know, one, one major category of skills and actions that are, are out there and kind of different are the smart home skills and actions. Yes. And those are skills and actions, but they're very different in a lot of ways. Yeah. And, and, and so that gets into this whole world of, you know, hundreds of thousands of different devices that you can turn on or off or control with your voice, whether it's, you know, a, a camera doorbell or the, you know, a light um, as you walk into a room or, you know, the, the robot vacuum that you've got. So <clears throat> a lot of times there are skills or actions or, or capsules that go along with a device that you have like a robot vacuum and you can control that robot vacuum through an assistant, even though the the assistant or the the vacuum cleaner itself doesn't have voice activation in it it's 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 a you know it's connected to the cloud it's got some functionality that the robot vacuum you know makers uh, expose through apis um, and and now they've got a skill that allows you know kind of you to connect this point to point to point so then you can voice you know control hey you know Roomba go clean the, the family room or something like that. One, one of the things I like about a lot of the smart home um, devices, and sometimes we'll also refer to this as, as part of the internet of things. Yep. And we're seeing more and more terms coming up around that. And sometimes we call them gadgets. And so, <laughs> <laughs> um, is that a lot of times controlling them feels like we're, it's, a, it's a first party scalar action. So I won't have to say something like, hey, G, ask Samsung to turn on the light or to turn on the bedroom light. I'll just say, yep. hey, gee, turn on the light. And it knows, okay, this light is a Samsung and here's who I need to tell to, to turn that on. Whereas, uh, you know, this other light is by Philips Hughes and here's what I need to do to turn that on instead. So that's largely hidden from the user, making it all look like first party stuff, which is good, again, because yeah. it makes it easier to use. Well, and, there, and there's things that are being added as, as well for third-party skills where um, like name-free invocation is one of the things that Amazon um, calls their technology, but um, you're able to say, you know, I want to play a game or I want to play a, you know, I want to do something specific and it's going to choose um, from a list of things that, that uh, you know, maybe that you've already got enabled or that you've used before or right. things like that, so that uh, if you don't remember exactly the name to invoke something, then you can still get back to it. And and Google at one point called this implicit invocation, and, and now it's got a bunch of other names that are attached to it, uh, all of which we forgot to put down on our list yep, of ahead of time. So, <laughs> And we will try to get this list uh, into the description or somewhere else so that, that people can, can refer to it. Um, so, okay, 
let's start talking about some of these these third party skills and actions and the terminology surrounding them because okay. we've got a lot of terminology surrounding them. And this is where we as developers really start to come in, I guess. So to develop it, what was the, the first thing that Alexa introduced for developers to, to develop skills? So when I started, then it was the Alexa skills kit version one. And um, kind of at the lowest level, you're basically writing a, a, um, an HTTP endpoint that takes a JSON request and returns a JSON response. And, and, and let's hold there for a second because we will yep. sometimes, because that's got terminology attached to it too. I know. So, so we'll sometimes call that HTTP endpoint a webhook. Right. And I know a lot in Google's documentation, they tend to refer to it as fulfillment. Okay, that's true. Or, or, and sometimes it's just the, your endpoint. Um, and uh, it's, it's really based on um, HTTP's request response, kind of the same technology that the web is built on. Yep. And we're, you know, so we're, we're sending back and forth JSON and JSON's yet another technology that's outside of it itself. So it's uh, it basically, it stands for JavaScript object notation. It's the string representation of a JavaScript object. And it's pretty, pretty simple and straightforward. Yeah, so, and so even though it's built on JSON, as far as the request and response, the language that you use that you know translates or pulls values out of that request and puts values into a response could be various things. It could be you know Java, it could be JavaScript, it could be Go, it could be .NET, it could be um, Python. 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 Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's like I'm. Just, there's there's just so many. But you know when I started, I would I, I uh, was doing uh, JavaScript and and Node.js and. And then that, that code has to live someplace. And so I would put in an AWS uh, Lambda function and you know, host it in, in the cloud. And I know in the earliest days of Alexa, that was, you had to host it in, uh, in AWS as a Lambda function, if I remember correctly. Yeah, and then they allowed it to, uh, to be any HTTPS uh, post endpoint. You know, and, uh, but then there's certain things that you have to do to validate that it's coming, because really, when you talk to your device, it goes through to the Alexa service, which acts as a you know kind of a middle uh, broker that then sends it off, uh, determines that that what you said is going to this particular skill, which then sends the code there, and you have to verify that that your request is only coming from Amazon in this case. But you know, very similarly, that's how um, Google Assistant does it as well. There's yep. there's some player in the middle that the device is talking to, and then that 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 uh, code in the middle there is talking to the code that's that's the skill or action. Now, does uh, Amazon actually refer to that, that thing in the middle as something? Yes, the Alexa service. That's the Alexa service, okay. Yes. So on the, on the Google side, it gets a little more complicated um, <laughs> for a lot of reasons. Um, Google generically refers to this that service as actions on Google and kind of layered on top of that have been a number of other services. So nowadays they tend to call those conversational actions or the conversational action system. It used to be when it started that you would use a service called API AI, which was a company that Google bought that had been building chatbots. 
or letting people build chatbots. Cross-platform, right? You could do yes. you could do an Alexa skill, you could do a chatbot, you could, you know, so it could do a whole bunch of things. Right. It was, you know, you had a lot of people that were doing stuff, you know, um, uh, for Facebook chatbots and Twitter, you know, so there were yeah. a number of messenger chatbots and some others that they supported directly. Um, and to that, they introduced Google Actions. API AI evolved into something called Dialogflow, which had a, a version one. They then updated it for various unclear reasons to produce a Dialogflow version two, which was completely incompatible with version one. And then most recently, they've kind of split Dialogflow into two branches, one called Dialogflow ES, which is kind of an entry level uh, learn how to build chatbot type thing, and one called Dialogflow CX, which is meant more for um, call center type operations. Dialogflow ES still sort of supports actions on Google. Dialogflow CX does not. The two of them are almost completely incompatible with each other. So there's no clear migration from one to the other. In addition to this, and just because things weren't confusing enough, shortly before this split happened, Google basically said, okay, we are, we're not deprecating support for Dialogflow version two, but we recommend that all future actions be built with this new tool called Action Builder. And it has many of the same features that Dialogflow CX has in that it, it lets you um, create conversations uh, focusing around scenes. And we'll go into this all another time. Well, let me just make, make sure. I, I heard okay. you say that Actions Builder had a lot of features of Dialogflow CS. CX, yes. CX, the, is that? The, the newest version of Dialogflow. There okay, are... so, so the, so, even though it's used as a replacement for Dialogflow ES, it seems it has some of the same features as Dialogflow CX. Yes, but oh. they're incompatible with each other still. Okay, okay. All right. Right. I learned something new. The gist of it, however, is that if you're building actions for the first time, if you're building conversational actions for Google for the first time, your best bet is to start with Action Builder unless you have a good reason not to. Uh, you know, if you've got an existing action that's already been built with Dialogflow, still works, no reason to switch over. You can switch over, there's a tool to help, but you don't need to. Um, but if you wanna take advantage of the newest stuff, then you kind of have to. Right, any, any new features are only being launched on Action Builder. Right. So that's a lot of complicated terminology to weed through, but the short of it is, just use Action Builder. Save yourself a lot of trouble. Okay, so this is where I'm gonna kind of wade in what my experience is gonna be, and this is a little bit different, but when I'm developing Alexa skills, there is an, a, a, like an Alexa developer console, but it's more for, well, it does configure certain things like these are the permissions that you want to use in your skill, and this this is where your what your language model is. So, so these phrases match the, these intents, and, um, it also uh, defines like what what is that uh, that webhook going to be that you're going to talk to and defines what's going to appear in this the skill store as far as how this mm -hmm. um, skill is going to appear. So there's also 
when I was using Dialogflow, there was also a, a web console for Dialogflow where I could define the same types of things like what would be equivalent to intents and, and uh, utterances. And, and um, but if I was, if, but it was kind of split because there was like an actions console right. Which would be like this is the this is the, the the actions marketplace and some of the same preference things that I was doing, but the language model stuff was um, actually being handled in dialogue flow. So then when I migrated up to Actions Builder, it was kind of one interface again, but still kind of the same thing where you have to define what your action is going to be called in the marketplace and and um, but. I've I had never really used the the part of Actions Builder where you would actually define scenes or uh, layouts, kind of a because there's there's kind of like a almost like a flowchart yeah. type tool, um, but that's not really code. So for any none of that stuff that we talked about is is really code necessarily that gets run or or is it? Well, no, it's. All of the, I mean, it's, uh, there are parts of both dialogue flow and action builder that can almost be considered logic. Okay. And as this now gets into something else that we left off of our list. Um, so uh, we'll talk about context more a little bit later. Yeah. But in one of the things that dialogue flow is very good at was allowing only certain phrases to make any sense in certain contexts, in certain ways. And Action Builder does some of the same sorts of things. So is that code? Sort of. Sort of. Um, there are other things that are sort of code, so, but not really. I tend to, I, all of that, I still tend to think of as largely as configuration. And one of the things that Action Builder lets you do, for example, is it does give you a graphical web-based console where you can kind of lay out the flow and say which phrases make sense in, in which scenarios. And it gives you a command line tool to download all of that into YAML files. Okay. And that, that tool is called GActions. And that and and you would do that into a um, into a code project where then you would actually have to. That's where your logic is. That's that's going to be running. Or like if you needed to make a an API call to get a result back to return back to the user, that would all happen. So that's where the code part happens. Right. For the so none of the things part. that we talked about are what we're talking about so far. None of them are no code solutions. Right. Okay. And as uh, I think as developers, we tend to think in terms of coding solutions rather than no code solutions. We'll yes. let's talk about that a little bit though. But yeah, no, a lot, of, a lot of it is, it's the console where you configure where your webhook is located. And at your webhook is where you're going to write your business logic and put your code in that does a lot of the work. What GActions lets you do is save your configuration right next to your code. So you can check it all in to Git together. And if you really wanted to, if you like editing YAML files, for example, you could edit that configuration Love file. Love it. Yeah, no. <laughs> um, you could edit it locally and then use GActions to upload it into the console 
so to, to handle that part of the configuration. So you don't need the action builder console, you, you know, cause you have this command line tool, but you can use it. It's there. But it's very helpful. Yeah. It's very helpful. I, I tend to use it and I tend to just save stuff locally to, uh, to, to put it into GitHub. So that was a long winded explanation of Kind of a history, though, yeah. Because it's important to know. Because like, 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 if I'm if I'm building a brand new um, action for Google Assistant today, the answer should be look at Actions Builder. The answer should be look at Action Builder. But as you pointed out, there's a lot of documentation out there that still assumes dialogue flow, and it's not always clear that that's what it's referring to. Yeah. So yeah, it, it does take a lot of untangling of some of this stuff. Hey, Alan, this has been great. Let's kind of uh, just put a, you know, a pin in this right now for um, what we've already talked about and we can continue this conversation next week. Yep, that makes sense to me. So um, thanks for watching everyone. Uh, hopefully this will be helpful and hopefully next week's will continue to be helpful. So we hope you tune in again next week on Two Voice Devs. Two Voice Devs. Take care, everybody. Take care, everyone. See you next week.